0: Welcome to Smart Software with Smart Logic, a podcast where we talk about best practices in web and mobile software development with a focus on new and emerging technologies. My name is Justice Eben, and I'm your host today. I'm a developer here at Smart Logic, a Baltimore based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. I'm joined by my co host, Eric Ostrich and by our special guest, Jay Ash from Kava. Hey Jay, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, thanks for having me.
0: Super glad to have you. Uh, Jay, do you wanna give us a quick overview of Kava and how Kava is using Elixir?
1: Sure. So Kava is a fast, casual Mediterranean restaurant with 75 stores across the US. Elixir and Phoenix in particular power Kava's online ordering system. So order.kava.com and our iOS and Android apps. We have a REST and WebSockets API uh, built with Phoenix sitting behind our uh, React and React Native apps. And then we use Phoenix templates for some of the back of house systems, inventory management kind of thing.
2: Cool. So can you explain to us like why you decided to pick Elixir for production?
1: Sure. So we... We have used Elixir from the start of our online ordering. As long as we've had online ordering, we've been using an Elixir Phoenix app. Originally, the app was built by Chris Bell and his team at Made by Many in New York. And so when Kava took it over, that's when we took over this Elixir and Phoenix infrastructure. Chris, a great talk from ElixirConf 2016, I think, that goes into some of the architecture and like the initial build. If you're interested in that and like how we use Elixir's language constructs to model some of our business logic he does a great job of describing it there but since it was delivered to us as a phoenix project that's what we've had the entire time we've been in production
0: and we can link to that in the show notes
2: yeah i was just i was just finding that all right so what are some of the high level advantages or disadvantages of elixir from your perspective
1: probably my favorite advantage of elixir in production is that you get this kind of Ruby on Rails-esque productivity and developer experience, but it, it scales in a way that you might not see from Ruby on Rails. Uh, I think a good example of this is WebSockets and building real-time experiences for the web. If you're doing it with, and I'm not a professional Rails developer, so you know you guys can take over if you want, but from some of the research I've done, Phoenix is well-documented to do WebSockets, high numbers of clients, high numbers of connections, really without blinking. And one of the best ways to do it in Rails from what I've seen, actually involves dropping into Erlang to handle some of the real-time aspects of it. And then you just start to build up this complex infrastructure. And with Elixir, it all just kind of works. And we have seen that in our our production experience. In terms of disadvantages, I think hiring and onboarding, depending on your mindset, can be more difficult. Elixir is a younger language. It's a little more niche. So a lot harder to hire for that kind of experience so instead what you end up doing at least in our experience is hiring for people who are interested in learning and then teaching them through the onboarding process how to be productive in Elixir one thing that's worked really well for us in this space is that this past weekend was Lone Star Elixir in Texas and one of our new developers she's been with Kava for maybe eight weeks at this point got to go down and do Bruce Tate's training the OTP sandbox training and that was like the perfect time and her are onboarding to spend a full day, you know, getting it kind of intensive onboarding and that fit really well with our onboarding process. So As the language and community gets bigger, that might be these external trainings might be something that we can leverage a little more to make up
0: for that. That's awesome. We actually met them while we were down there and we're really happy to have them join us for a happy hour after the conference. Do we want to move on to some of these system level hosting type questions, Eric?
2: Yeah. Uh, So our first one is, what do you use to host these Elixir apps?
1: Our app is on Heroku. So everything just goes right to Heroku for production. Pretty straightforward for us.
2: Cool. So is, is that just the like MixPHX.server?
1: Yeah. So the Heroku build pack for Elixir just runs MixPHX.server to spin it up. So we're not using, you know, distillery releases, anything like that. Right now, our team is pretty small and this works pretty well for us. There's a certain aspect of set it and forget it yeah. uh, with Heroku that we really like.
2: If it, if it works, why bother going more complicated?
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we might not be on Heroku forever, but for right now... Uh, It's less us focused on building the app for our customers, especially with you know a a smaller team. Cool. Are you able to get zero downtime deploys? Pretty close. The way Heroku works, it just waits until the new app is spun up before starting to push traffic to it. A lot of our app parts of our app use Phoenix Channels, and the JavaScript side of Phoenix Channels handles the reconnection when it loses a connection, and it does so in a way that's pretty seamless for our customers, for our users. So rarely, if have we seen an issue with downtime around deploys
2: do you cluster the application at all
1: not right now we our load on our single heroku node is not enough to justify clustering it
2: okay so it's a a single dyno right now
1: it is a single dyno
2: that's that's uh pretty incredible (laughs) like i I cannot imagine doing that on a on a rails app
1: Yeah, and that's my understanding is that it's something I don't even I haven't even had to learn with Heroku is yeah how to go multi node that way.
2: Yeah, it's like the first thing you do is is you start with a at least a two X on Rails and then you go do I want like two three? <laughs> yeah, oh, so that's awesome. Do you have any information on like how this compares to other uh, other applications in in any kind of I don't I, don't know, I guess you might all be. F- elixir and phoenix but uh just in case
1: we run a single application single elixir and phoenix application in production so in terms of at kava have anything to benchmark it against comparison to my previous experiences uh, uh my backend is java so i was doing a lot of java microservice sorry my background is java so i was doing java microservice development elixir and phoenix are at least as performant if not more so
0: so maybe we want to talk a little bit about you know, background task processing. Do you? How are you solving that right now?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of our business logic operations can be done asynchronously. So this is another benefit of Elixir: is that there's a lot of complexity that we can kind of hide from the customer in terms of how long it takes to talk to certain integrations. Um, so we have a, a lot of these tasks. Anything possible is on Gen servers. We have a, a few different cron jobs that we use Quantum for stuff that runs every night. But when in doubt, when we can, we just put something on a Gen server so that we uh, kind of take the load off of the that's processing the customer's interactions.
2: Awesome. Uh, so we, we mentioned quantum there. Are there any other libraries that you're using outside of the like Phoenix Ecto staple?
1: Yeah, there are a few. Phoenix Swagger is one that we've been working with a lot lately. We use it for API documentation. So making sure that It lets you write Swagger that in an Elixir domain-specific language, so it, it looks like Elixir, but it compiles to Swagger, this API documentation format, and then it has a few different tools kind of bundled into it. One of them lets you host your documentation alongside your API, which is nice, and then another one, it provides these test helpers so that you can run your tests against your documentation, run your controller tests really easily, just like a couple lines of code to drop in to verify that the response that your controllers are returning matches what you're saying it does in your uh, documentation, which is cool. We're using X-Rated for rate-limiting calls to some external integrations, which uh, I think is just an ETS table under the hood. TimeX and Calendar for date-time support with time zones across the U.S., east coast to west coast. So we're in four different time zones, so we have to have that functionality implemented um hopefully at some point we'll be able to take in and start using some of the more native support for time zones but we're not quite there yet HTTP. And HTTP poison for HTTP clients. I'm interested in trying Mint, the new kind of processless architecture for HTTP clients, but you know, haven't gotten there yet. And then Bamboo for transactional emails, order confirmations, that kind of thing, because the writing the templates in the same format that we can for our Phoenix templates is uh, pretty nice.
2: Yeah, we use, we use Bamboo as well. I'm interested in trying that one as well. And there's also Car Library, something like that called Mojito that is think. Supposed to look more like your typical HTTP client, so like HTTP poison, where it kind of comes with its own worker pool and all that. Um, so that's that's another another one to look out for. Mojito. Cool. So, do you use any uh, third party services? Have you had any troubles integrating them at all, or anything like that?
1: So we use SendGrid for email, Google for geocoding, Slack for some uh, internal alerting of application help. Level Up for payments. Level Up is a, a- provider that's big in the fast casual space. If you ever pay with a QR code at a restaurant, there's a good chance that Level Up is powering that. um, And they power our e-commerce payments as well. In terms of integrations that we've had trouble with, I mean, nothing really. I listened to Dan's episode of this podcast a few days ago, and he was talking about rolling smart logic, rolling your own API clients. And I'm definitely on the same page as Dan there. I think that you know, using the, the, the primitives, the language constructs, rather than using someone else's thoughts of like, I don't know, a Slack integration or something like that, I think works pretty well for us.
2: Yeah, I'll continue to echo that, I guess, again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's massively solves any kind of integration pain you might have if you write it from scratch, because then you know exactly what it, it needs to do.
0: So, so Moving on to our last set of questions. Jay, do you have a story where Elixir has saved the day for you guys in production?
1: Yes. Yes and no. It, it started out saving the day. Well, I'll, I'll just get into it. This actually was with an integration. One day at lunch, our application started going down. Lunch is our, our biggest time of the day. so this is you know full panic mode, 500 errors, red lights flashing. because lunch is our biggest load. We assumed it was load related and we really need to fix it because we want to keep making sure customers can order their bowls. None of our traditional resources, like our Heroku was doing fine because Phoenix can totally handle our load. So that was out. Our database was healthy. So it didn't seem to be like we were looking at traditional metrics for load and it didn't seem to be related to that. But so we, you know, we went to the logs. Our logs were littered with like errors from an analytics integration, uh, something we're no longer using. But Uh, We are sending a lot of our kind of customer interactions when people log in and when people order to a third party so that our marketing team can make use of it. And we are seeing these logs, these errors from that integration in the logs, but it didn't seem relevant. One, because we were seeing the errors when not just during lunch, but we were also seeing them during other times of the day when our app was otherwise healthy. And, you know, because we thought that we could see the errors from other times of the day and it wasn't an integration that was a showstopper. We were like, let's just ignore those errors. They're probably irrelevant. That's foreshadowing. They definitely ended up being relevant. So I spent some time looking at WebSockets because I had started at Kava kind of recently and there are some claims that maybe WebSockets or our implementation of channels was um, was at fault, but I was easily able to match the load of the, the number of clients that we had connected when I was running the app locally, not even on the Heroku box, so that seemed like it was out. So at this point, it's been going on every day for a few days at lunch, and I was kind of getting annoyed at seeing this log, these logs from this analytics integration. And the way the integration worked was that it was on a gen server because it was analytics, not stuff that we had to do synchronously. So... We were, you know, in in the course of these client interactions, we were sending things to the gen server to send to the analytics integration, which meant that the clients weren't, the customers weren't seeing the failures to this other integration, which is how Elixir and gen servers kind of saved the day. You know, this other thing in its own sandbox and its own silo was failing, and that didn't take down the whole app until it did. So (laughs) I I ended up fixing the issue. It It was a bad API key. I found the new one. I threw it in there restarted it. I was sure that that was going to be irrelevant, but it would at least get it out of the logs. And then I restarted the app and everything was healthy, which was arguably more confusing at the time because it seemed so irrelevant. What we ended up finding out is that this was something I wasn't aware of at the time. Supervisors have a uh, max restart capacity attached to them. So it basically says that if a process that you're supervising fails, what is it, more than three times in five seconds, by default, uh, OTP won't restart that process. So what that meant was that if the process doesn't get restarted, any pr- process that's calling that down now down process would also fail. And so customers started getting impacted by the failures. But we only saw it at lunch because uh, that was the only time that our load was high enough to hit that max restart threshold of three failures in five seconds. So, you know, a few takeaways here. Vision tree prevented failures from time. This was something that had been happening for at least a week prior to when we started seeing these failures at lunch, and they were completely hidden from the customers and unfortunately also hidden from us. Our supervision tree definitely needed some love, so we needed to, there's more we could do there. And then that we also could do more in terms of like monitoring our resources, you know, CPU, database, those were like the traditional resources, but calls to an API are also a resource. And when that's not healthy, your app might not be healthy too.
0: So, how long was service disrupted for your customers at the end of the day? I
1: think it was like every day at lunch for a week or something like that, which is definitely noticeable. You uh, you know you start to feel the eyes on you when you're. Um, you're struggling every day at lunch and you're trying to sell lunch.
2: I guess one other thing that I wanna mention about that process restart, there's also a chance if you're, if that process restarts too often, the supervisor will, will restart. And if that, I don't think you hit this in, in that case, but if the process restarts too much, it'll bubble up to the supervisor. If that supervisor then tries to restart a process that continues to crash, that'll the supervisor itself will hit the restart, the three and five seconds. And so a bad process can eventually bubble all the way up to the, your top of your application and then just kill the whole thing so that's that's something to be aware of and and properly constructed supervision trees are are definitely uh, a savior in this case <laughs> cool so we, we kind of I guess I already mentioned some cool OTP features but uh, what else is out there that you might be using
1: well yeah I mean we got into the big one for us is gen servers pretty much everywhere we can some places we'll model it by like a process per store I was listening to the interview with you did with Ryan Billingsley from ClusterTruck and he was talking about modeling it like a, a process per truck. Uh, we are doing that as like a process per store in places where we can, which is great because it means failures with one store, like if we're having trouble getting an order to the store, won't affect any of the others, which is pretty cool and kind of an Elixir specific way to to model that process. Other than that, I mean, we're not multi-nodes, so we're not using some of those features and we have supervision trees built up around our, our gen servers where we can, although as I just said, not every supervision tree is built exactly correctly.
2: Yeah, but but now you know. <laughs> now now we know, yeah. So I guess our, our last question, if you can give one tip to developers out there who are or may be soon running Elixir in production, what would it be?
1: I touched on this earlier a little bit, but if you're a small team, definitely go for Elixir. Definitely give it a try. Your your productivity, your developer experience will be great, but don't sleep on Heroku. There are some really cool deployment tools out there in the Elixir ecosystem with Distillery 2.0 and, and some of the other innovations there, but the value you get from Heroku in terms of of being able to set it and forget it and not have to worry about managing your your releases and your your infrastructure is pretty great in my opinion. So definitely check that out. Um, I think there's another tool, an Elixir-specific one called Gigelixir. I don't know a ton about it, but uh, it seems cool. And if it has features that are focused a little more on the Elixir ecosystem, that might be uh, nice to use too. Yeah, I know
2: a friend at a local meetup who's used it and has spoken well of Gigalixir. So, yeah,
1: cool,
0: awesome. That is a great piece of advice to part with. Before we let you go, do you want to uh, you know plug, uh, make any final plugs or requests to the audience? Where can they find you to learn more about Kava or anything that
1: you're working? Yeah, for? sure. Um, so I'm on Twitter. I'm at uh, JGASHE on Twitter.
0: Rock and roll. Well, everybody that's been another episode of smart software with smart logic thank you so much jay for your time eric ostrich is my co-host i am justice Eben, and until next time uh, it's been real